every business has a growth engine. The question is how many cylinders are in your growth engine and, and is it tuned? Is it right. firing the same direction? You know, and in my, the basis uh, behind the theory of revenue growth engine is if we put the cylinders in place, then we're going to be able to accelerate and maintain speed. Tractionville, the podcast for companies running on EOS. I'm your host, Chris White, along with my fantabulous co-host, Benj Miller. Benj Miller. All right, Tractionville, get ready to buckle up. We got a, a really cool dynamic guy coming your way. His name's Daryl Amy. He is the author of the Revenue Growth Engine, and he's also the visionary of Convergo. Daryl, welcome to Tractionville. Hey, it's great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me in. When we were talking offline, you, you said one sentence, and I wrote it down. I mean, we were talking a lot, right? But I wrote this one sentence down, and this is where I want to start. You help companies accelerate out of the ditch. Yes. <laughs> what do you mean by that? So I'm I'm passionate uh, about growth, and you know this has been this has been my whole career. I've been passionate about helping companies grow and in particular generous leaders in their companies grow so they can have an impact. And, um, you know, and, and so over the last 27 years of being in sales and sales development, and then the last 18 years of working directly in, in digital marketing, you know, I, I, it, I lived in both of these, these worlds and um, I want to talk about the ditch first. Let's get on that. Uh, the reality is 2020 was tough. You know, uh, I mean, there may be a few people that were selling plexiglass or personal protective equipment listening in, but other than that, 2020 was tough. I never dreamed that I would be, you know, getting interest-free loans uh, from the federal government, you know, and, and all of that. I mean, what a year right. um, and, you know, and, and all of that. So 2020 was tough. Um, revenue dropped for a lot of companies. And uh, the reality is when you look at where we are right now, when it comes to pulling not just the economies of our, our countries out of the ditch, but our companies out of the ditch, the only way we're gonna do that is we've gotta accelerate revenue growth. We were joking about, I, I grew up in Ontario. I grew up between a, a dairy farm and a pig farm uh, <laughs> just about 10 miles outside of London, Ontario. And uh, I learned how to drive on dirt roads. And uh, I don't know if you remember, if, if, if you get in a skid in the dirt road and you start sliding into the ditch, you actually don't hit the brakes. If you do that, you're gonna, you're gonna, um, you're gonna roll your car. Right. What you learn to do is you got to accelerate out of that. And, and this is, you know, right now, I think I watched a lot of companies when we hit, um, hit the lockdown, the COVID, the quarantine, all that stuff. Um, you know, we, we pivoted um, and EOS companies, we did, I think we did a really good job. I would, I would be cool to see a study of how well EOS companies pivoted versus other ones. Right. Uh, but the reality is, um, you know, now that we're looking into 2021, we've got to figure out how to accelerate. Uh, because if you had linear growth in revenue uh, up until now, that's great. Uh, but we've got to recover what we lost in 2021 and set a trajectory going forward. So I'm really passionate right now about looking, uh, helping companies discover ways to accelerate their revenue growth. Uh, because if, if, if that doesn't happen, 
um, a lot of bad things happen, right? So it's up to us. And, and who's going to get that done? Well, it's going to be forward-thinking business leaders that are committed to growth and committed to building the marketing and sales processes that are going to allow them to accelerate. You know, I'm super I, uh, curious to go into what helps companies go from linear to exponential, but I want to ask a question about you first, because, um, you, you know, you're the revenue growth guy and you break a few stereotypes because, um, if I'm going out on a, a search looking for a revenue guy, I'm going to go get a, a, an extroverted Enneagram seven and you are a self-proclaimed INTJ Enneagram five. <laughs> How do those two work together? I don't know. Um, and you know you're, what? A D, you're a D over I. Okay, too. so here's here's how it works together. Actually, that, that that was a great one. That came out of left field. I love it. <laughs> um, I'm and I'm a personality profile junkie, and we were actually doing our achiever with our team uh, last week, and um, it was so funny because when I looked at my Colby and put it up against uh, our integrator, uh, my business partner Bill Pools Colby. It was like business Jenga. We were like the exact opposite. <laughs> um, here's here's uh, INTJ is an architect, and um, I'm an architect, and and so I look at things. And this is I spent 27 years, as I mentioned, in B2B sales, mostly in the technology world. Um, I got I got the itch to hang out my own shingle and start a company in 2004. Uh, was going to train salespeople how to sell software. Uh, which is what I did. Our first client was uh, down in Houston. Great company. Get done with the training. He said that was fantastic. By the way, our website doesn't say anything about what you just trained us about. Do you build websites? So next thing you know, I'm in, a mar I'm in the marketing world. And I got, <laughs> to spend, I got to spend the last 18 years with one foot in sales and sales development. Uh, I've designed sales training for companies all the way up to the Fortune 500. Um, and then I've also been in the marketing world, specifically in the fast evolving world of digital marketing. And so I noticed this goes back to the INTJ and Enneagram five is I noticed that these things were just operating in different directions. Um, sales was going one way, marketing is going another. It's kind of like trying to drive your car down the road when it's out of alignment and you're constantly pulling, you know, it back. Right. And, uh, and so I was, uh, you know, I started thinking, I was actually tasked with speaking at a conference that had salespeople, marketing people, and business owners. And I, and I was like, what am I going to say to this group? Because the marketing people were all at the front of the room and they were salivating over the latest marketing um, platform, gadget, and all of that. And I'm a tech nerd. I love that stuff. But you know what? I had some people in the room who had gone way down that road uh, with that those marketing gadgets, and it wasn't yielding significant results for them. And then I had the sales managers sitting behind them. You saw them; they either had their arms folded or they were on their phones, you know, uh, texting their reps. To, when are you going to close this deal? And they're, you know, they're thinking this is a waste of time. The business owners are in the back drinking their coffee, going, "When are you going to get this all together?" And that's when. The light bulb came on for me, even though I love sales. Um, I got sales in my blood. I'm a recovering salesperson. I'm down to therapy twice a month. It's going pretty well. Um, I love sales. And I also love marketing. Um, you know, been doing that. I have marketing degrees and all that stuff. The reality is it's not about sales or marketing. It's about revenue growth. 
that's the goal. So I began thinking, okay, what do we need to do to align sales and marketing to drive exponential growth? And I'll tag one more thing on there to that INTJ bench. I was training reps how to sell workflow automation software. So everywhere you go in a business, you go uh, finance, process, shipping and receiving, process, HR, process, sales and marketing, wild west, right? <laughs> right. Literally, you walk in and there's right. like a couple sales reps flipping a coin and shining their gun outside the saloon. And, <laughs> you know, the manager's like, go make some more calls. We need to get another gunslinger in here. And marketing, you know, a lot of times you're not much better. And uh, we're like, run some campaigns. Oh, we need to do an event. Get this brochure for me. But where's the process? And so... I came into that conference I was speaking at. I was like, okay, we need to tie this all together. And um, I had a couple sleepless nights. And out of that, the revenue growth engine model came together to drive exponential growth um, by aligning marketing and sales. And what would you need to have put in place? How would you architect that so that that happened consistently and predictably? Many entrepreneurs are overwhelmed, burnt out, and frustrated because they aren't able to spend enough time in their highest and best work. They know they need to delegate to an assistant, but they don't want the responsibility of managing one. At Delegate Solutions, we provide leaders with a different approach to admin support without the hassle of committing to an employee. We support our clients remotely in as little as one to two hours per day, all the way through to full time. And our systematic approach includes customized delegation coaching to help you figure out what and how best to delegate, coupled with a team of thinkers and doers to continually get those things off your plate. We love to help visionary leaders free up time so they can do more of what they love and have a big impact. Learn more about our delegation support system by visiting info.delegatesolutions.com forward slash traction vote. Were you intimidated when, when you said, okay, I, I, I've, I've taken, you know, you're a visionary. So you, you, you took this moment of clarity, boom, and you're off and running. And then eventually you decided, you know what? I got to write a book. And your book, I mean, you've entered a space where there's a lot of information and content. Was that intimidating? No. And here's why. Um, cause I'm a visionary. I don't care. <laughs> but, no. um, it, it, here's, here's the deal. I, I'm a reader. I love, I've got shelves full of books right off to my, I left, I can see my peripheral vision and on marketing and sales. But what I noticed was there were all kinds of great books on marketing and sales and many of them on my website. And by the way, you can just text the word revenue to 21,000 and get access to our toolkits and, and, um, our, my, my favorite books, but they were all, um, they were all about specific things, specific aspects of sales, specific aspects of marketing. Yeah. What I was aiming to do was pull it all together. And, um, I got to be on, um, one of my, my favorite podcasts in the marketing world. I highly recommend is the marketing book podcast with Douglas Burdett. And I was talking to Douglas and he reads, um, you know, he has a different book every week and, uh, he reads them cover to cover. And when I, you know, I was, a, I was, in, I was intimidated talking to Douglas cause he had Seth Godin on the week before. So, <laughs> um, but, um, you know, Douglas said, man, I loved your book and here's why. 
this is the book I wish I'd written and uh, I welcome him to do it too. But uh, he said, because someone needs to pull all this together. And that's where, you know, I took my, um, I took my architect mindset. Um, I came from a family and we're construction family. So I like to build and all of that. And that's where I try to pull it all together. And uh, so I don't, uh, I don't, proclaim to replace anything that's out there. I wanted to pull it together in a model uh, that companies could look at. And it's kind of like, I called it an engine and the engine idea happened when I was mowing my lawn. I like to mow my lawn. I know you go, really? You like to mow your lawn? Yes, because I can drive around and I can't talk on the phone because it's too loud. I just listen to podcasts while I mow the lawn. So um, I'm mowing the lawn and I'm going, what? I don't, there's no speedometer on my lawnmower, but it's like probably what, two miles an hour or whatever. And I'm looking down my driveway at my car and I'm thinking, wow, my car is so much faster than this lawnmower. Uh, why? Because it's got a finely tuned engine. My lawnmower has a two cylinder, I don't mm. know how many horsepower engine. My car is a finely tuned, uh, turbocharged, zero to 60 and whatever. Um, And because it's got multiple cylinders and because those cylinders are firing in the same direction, it accelerates. So when I get on the freeway, I would not want to get on the freeway in my lawnmower, but I love getting on the freeway in my car. And um, so I think a lot of businesses are like that. Every business has a growth engine. The question is how many cylinders are in your growth engine and, and is it tuned? Is it right. firing in the same direction? You know, and in my, the basis uh, behind the theory of revenue growth engine is if we put the cylinders in place, the processes, the sales and marketing processes for my Canadian friends in <laughs> place, um, then we're going to be able to accelerate and maintain speed. And that's where, when we go into to businesses across all kinds of different industries, uh, what we generally discover is number one, they don't have an exponential growth plan. And number two, they don't have the cylinders in place um, to, to, to accelerate the growth that they would need to hit their goal anyways. So Daryl, I, I get the, the engine analogy. When we get down to like brass tacks to go mm-hmm. from linear growth to exponential growth, are there a couple components that you see over and over that that companies are missing or can get some some big wins that turbocharge or is it really just a slow upgrade to make sure it's all working together? It is actually really simple but very powerful. Um, I call it the law of exponential revenue growth. If you boil it all down and think about it, there are really only two ways to grow revenue. Um, you either get more net new customers right? You add some logos, you bring on some new people, or you cross sell more to your current clients. And what I've discovered is, as we go into companies, we look, typically companies are good at one or the other. They're either good at bringing on net new, they got a great sales team, they got a great, you know, lead flow, they got all of that. Or, uh, you know, they're really good at managing their client relationships, And um, I've seen both. I would say it's probably two or three to one where companies are good at net new, but not great at cross-sell. So here's what I noticed. And by the way, I had a great, I was at a tech conference uh, back when we used to go to conferences and I'm looking forward to the EOS conference, by the way. Uh, Hope to see many people there. Um, But um, the uh, Tiffany Bova, the chief evangelist for Salesforce was speaking to 2,500 tech business owners and salespeople. And she stood up and she said, 
you guys are idiots. I may be paraphrasing, but at this point I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> you got my attention and everybody else's head snapped up. She goes, you uh -huh. guys are idiots. You're like people that sold everything, moved to California, spent months hiking up into the Klondike and uh, looking for a gold mine. You find a nugget of gold, you hold it up, you ring the bell, you slap high fives and you go, let's go find another gold mine. And, uh, you know, and so her point was a point that I think we all can learn from, especially right now, is if you've been focused on net new growth, um, but not had a cross sell motion in place, what would it look like if you had both? Um, here's the deal. Here's the exponential growth. And you can do the math on this. And I actually have a spreadsheet on um, my book website. If once again, text revenue to 21,000, you get access to it. But if you show modest growth, like let's say 12% year over year growth in net new business, how many customers do you have? Number of customers. And then you show modest growth, let's say 12% year over year in your revenue per customer. That's the measure of your cross-sell effectiveness. You do the math on that and you find that you double revenue somewhere around just past 36 months. It, organically. And, you know, I mean, if you, the investment people listening in know the rule of 72, right? You take the number 72, divide it by the investment return rate, and it shows you how long it takes to double your money. If you're growing net new 10% year over year and flat and cross sell, it's going to take you 7.2 years to, to grow, to double your revenue. But if you get both of those going at the same time, you start getting that curve. And, um, and that's where you know, a lot of businesses right now, um, I think the tendency is to say, wow, we got hammered in 2010. The way we grow our business is we're going to go get more net new business. And so, you know, like, let's hire some more reps. Let's go get some more net new. Um, my, my high level challenge to you would be to say, before you do that, I'm not saying don't stop selling net new, but look at your revenue per client and go, how is that growing? And how is that shrinking? And what are the other products, services, and solutions that you have that you could sell? My very first company I worked for straight out of college was actually based in Atlanta. We used to go to Atlanta for all our sales training. And uh, it was Lanier Worldwide, hardcore copier sales. And uh, they had a deal. The mantra was 100% sold. We want every client to be 100% sold. And uh, that stuck with me. And so we use that as actually a benchmark metric um, with our clients. It's a great scorecard metric to go, okay, how, how many of our clients are 100% sold? Um, it's a great benchmark for sales reviews with your reps and key accounts. The rep goes, oh, I own this account. Oh, really? <laughs> okay, let's take a look across all of our product lines, you know, and you go, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> you just own it for our core products. So um, yeah, all of that, I get, I get fired up about this, Benj, but I think the, um, you know, the goal right now, we got to accelerate revenue and, and the way to do it may be different than how you grew revenue in the past is to look and go, if I'm not good at cross-sell, let's get good at that. If I'm not good at net new, let's figure out how to put the processes in place uh, to make that happen. Pam Lanier is a legend in Atlanta. I'm sure we could get off on a wild goose chase telling some stories about that guy. 
we oh, will yeah. not. So um, <laughs> I think you may have inadvertently created a thousand EOS rocks for the next quarter to focus on cross-selling. So for everybody who's who's going, oh crap, we need to get our cross-selling to create 12% new revenue this year. Give us a couple tips. What should we be thinking about? What are the best ways to approach that? What are some of the the things that you look for first? Well, when um sorry about the rocks. They may be boulders. Um, a lot of these things, uh, you know, when someone says they want to improve cross-selling, there's probably a series of rocks. I would call them in the book, we call them cylinders of the engine. And when we're working with our clients that use EOS, uh, we help them look for the gaps and then develop rocks, um, in their sales and marketing level tends to, uh, to fill those gaps and build the processes and tools, training and all of that. But, um, the, the whole looking, looking at all of this, you go, how do you get your mind around this? And I was, you know, where do you, how do you, how do you get your mind around what we need to do? And my light bulb moment came, um, I was actually in Orlando and I was having dinner. I was there for a conference, but I, I was having dinner with a group of people for a compilation book that I got to write in. And, and one of the guys across the table, you know, you go, what do you do? And he goes, I work for the Disney Institute. I'm like, oh, you got my attention now. Um, and so we're talking about the Disney Institute and obviously teach the Disney way to businesses. And I said, I'm just curious, what are you reading? What do you guys read? Like who, who informs the Disney Institute? And he goes, right. Oh, I can answer that question. We read the experience economy by Harvard business school guys, Joseph Pine and James Gilmore. And so, you know, I mean, before dessert is served, I've already ordered that on Amazon. It's coming to my house. And I get home, I start reading the experience economy. Uh, and by the way, when you order the book, they wrote it 20 years ago and they just updated it in January of 2000, uh, uh, in 2020. And um, which I ordered the old version first and then it popped up in my Amazon feed that there was a new version with much more current uh, examples. But either way, the principle is the same. Um, when you look for competitive advantage, you know, back in the old days, we got competitive advantage through having better products. Well, it doesn't happen anymore. Then we moved into the services economy. So we got competitive advantage by offering services and bundling them with products. Well, guess what? Everybody does that now, um, including Amazon, right? So everybody does that. So where do you go for competitive advantage? And what Pine and Gilmore said was the way you create competitive advantage is by creating an incredible experience for your customer. And um, I'd already been fascinated with the concept of CX customer experience. And so when I got that book, I devoured it and it's thick. It's like 300 and something pages. And usually I read a book, um, you know, till I get bored because I'm a visionary. I was, I almost cried when that book was over because it was <laughs> so good. Like, I'm like, give me more, give me right, more. Right. And, um, but basically they laid out a whole framework and mindset for saying, let's look at everything through the lens of the customer. And um, so when, when we're working, this, this has become very helpful when we're doing revenue growth strategies. I'm getting ready to, to do one uh, right after lunch today. Uh, and and we're, we're looking and we're going, okay, the, the language of EOS would be what's the proven process, right? But we kind of, you got to go beyond the marketing side of the proven process and really go, okay, what is each step from the time a client first encounters our company to the through the buying process through um, then becoming a client 
and this is where, you know, the stuff really gets good through that whole client life cycle. What, what's, what's happening? What are the gates between each one of those stages? Where's the friction? What's the client thinking? Um, and by client in the B2B space, there's an average of 6.7 decision makers and influencers in every B2B deal. So you got multiple people and you start looking at it from that, that standpoint. And then you go, okay, at that point, what are the sales processes we need to put in place? What are the marketing processes? What is the message we need to put in place that needs to be communicated at each one of those stages? And then what are the resources, tech, people, and data that need to be put together? And now, now you've got a plan. And this is where you know, we're, we're, the goal is revenue, but the methodology is looking at it through the lens of the customer and letting that inform what we do and doing it in a process way, um, which is kind of sadly revolutionary to a lot of sales and marketing. Um, and, and I would add one other thing, and I, it's not just sales and marketing, it's also operations. Mm. And um, you know, it was about a year, year and a half ago, in one of our clients, we were doing a revenue growth plan. And uh, the, the client said, can I bring my ops person into this discussion? And of course, I'm a sales and marketing guy. You know, I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, they're going to get bored. Oh, was I wrong? Because when you start looking at the client experience, you realize, you know, you don't close a sale. Mark Hunter says you open a relationship. So the selling doesn't stop. The marketing doesn't stop when someone becomes a client. It actually just begins. And so this is a shift in mindset in terms of, you know, how companies look at, at this handoff. There's a new term. It's, I don't know if it's new. It's, it's kind of, I've seen it more and more, the term revenue operations. And I really like that term because um, I was talking to a gentleman on my podcast, the Revenue Growth Podcast, just this past week, uh, great British guy. So he said it with such a cool accent, but he said, revenue operations is stitching together sales and marketing and operations so that you create an incredible customer experience. And um, I was like, that's a good definition. Um, so that's where I think, um, and this is, this is why I think EOS companies are so poised to be able to accelerate revenue growth is because we think in terms of process. And you know, so you look at that client experience all the way through from prospect to raving fan and you go, okay, what can we do to make that experience incredible? And then, you know, then it, it takes, it takes the proven process and builds the infrastructure around it. So it really comes to life. I got a feeling we could, we, I got a feeling we could just talk forever. Um, this is really good stuff. Um, Daryl, where can we send our listeners to learn more about you and the revenue growth engine? Yeah, actually right now um, on convergo.co, convergo.co, um, you can actually get a free copy of Revenue Growth Engine. We'll be happy to send it to you if you're an EOS company, which if you're listening to this podcast and you're not e an EOS user, you're about to be. So uh, yeah, I'd love to send you a copy and love to give get your feedback and have a conversation about it because, and the reason for that, it goes back to the beginning, um, I'm passionate about helping great companies grow because the, you know, we're the organizations that are going to create the meaningful jobs that are going to support the nonprofits and uh, that are going to pull us out of the ditch. Yeah. I love it. 
So Daryl, as we wrap, I usually ask the same very open-ended question, but I'm going to ask you a less open-ended question to wrap us up today. Um, I'm still stuck on your, you pointing out the biggest opportunity for most of our listeners is growing the kind of wallet share of the clients we already have, being yeah. able to serve them across our suite of services. So give us a, a, a either a piece of encouragement, wisdom, or challenge for us, what's the biggest thing, if we're not doing what we need to be doing this or the, the biggest way to get a win in that, that category? I would say, and it depends on what industry you're in, but I'll tell you a quick win um, is quarterly business reviews with your key clients. Um, when you read Revenue Growth Engine, you'll find that I'm a big believer in Pareto's 80-20 rule. 20% of your clients drive 80% of your revenue. I've seen it across every industry. That top 20%, they need to hear from you on a consistent basis. And not just, you know, not just a high five, uh, have a cup of coffee, but you need to be bringing real value to them. And when you do that, you earn the right to uh, grow wallet share in the organization. That's good. I That's like it. Good. Glad I asked, made you dig in there. Tractionville, I hope you uh, enjoyed Daryl today. Gave us some new things to think about maybe some new rocks to start working on uh, very generous offer to go to convergo.co and grab your copy of the revenue growth engine. Daryl, thanks for being on here. Tractionville. We'll see you next week for Tractionville Tuesday. Mm -hmm.